This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. I remember a day on the Yellowstone River in Montana's Paradise Valley when I was floating a stretch of river with my buddy Nolan. Dave, it's actually that same stretch we floated before with Bob Granger. Oh, yeah. yeah. And anyway, we spotted, actually Nolan spotted some rising fish near the bank about 40 yards away, and he told me that they were feeding on duns. I thought he was crazy. I mean, how could he see tiny mayfly duns? At 40 yards away. Well, maybe he was looking at it through a spotting scope (laughs) set at 30x. Exactly. That's what it would have taken. Well, it was all I could do to see the trout, about three of them whose noses kept poking up from the surface. But then I learned that he didn't really see those mayfly duns. He just knew from the way the trout were rising that they were feeding on mayflies in their dun stage. Well, as it turns out, if you pay attention to the kind of activity you see on the river's surface, you can usually figure out what trout are feeding on. Now, it's not an exact science, but it is surprisingly accurate. And when you figure out what trout are feeding on, it really helps you with fly selection. So today we're going to talk about the feeding behaviors of trout. I think I first encountered this when I read an article years ago by Craig Matthews, uh, uh, Blue Ribbon Fly Shop in West Yellowstone. And uh, since then, I've uh, maybe kind of tweaked this a little bit, made it, uh, kind of simplified it for myself. So uh, here are the four stages that uh, we, we want to talk about, are the four behaviors of uh, uh, feeding trout. Uh, number one, uh, noses mean duns. If you see noses poking through the surface, the trout are feeding on mayflies in their dun stage. So what is the dun stage, Steve? Well, the dun stage is the first of two adult stages of uh, mayflies. So when you're fishing in the, the dun stage, uh, you, you might use a parachute atoms. That will work fine. I mean, it works for a lot of different things. But in some cases, uh, slow, clear water, or a specific hatch, you might need to be more specific and use uh, a comparadun or even a sparkle dun pattern. I think also, for example, if you're fishing you know, the green drakes or the types of mayflies, you want to get mm-hmm. more specific in terms of yeah, color. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yes, the dun stage is that first of the, of the two stages of mayflies. So when you see the noses surfacing, it may be that they're feeding on the duns, and so it's a good time to make sure you're, you're fishing the right fly. That's yeah, true, and sometimes a, a cripple pattern may work as well. And the reason for that is that most aquatic insects do not make the transition from nymph to adult stage, so they simply remain stuck in the surface film. So it's not, it's not the spinner fall, the spinners that have fallen to the surface. That's it's the just, second stage. Right, yeah, that'll come a little bit later. So, uh, yeah, pay attention. Like you said before, Dave, uh, when you see trout, looks like they're standing on their fins. Uh, they're up to their eyeballs in water, and you just see these noses. Uh, they're more than likely uh, feeding on duns. Perhaps this might be the time to insert the whole notion of paying attention when you walk up to the river, certainly for the first time. Oh, yeah. Now, you were on a drift boat, and, and sometimes it's a little easier, I think, to pay attention while you're drifting, or well, maybe not. I don't know. It's for me. It's so easy to walk up to the run yeah. and just start slinging. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Yeah, it really is. Oh, I know so many times when I, I, I've realized, you know what, if I would have paid attention, I, I would have been using the right fly 20 minutes ago instead of waiting. Yeah, so no, it really so is true. It is good advice. I, I tend to race right up. I want to get fishing, but yeah, it really pays to stand along the, the river's edge and just watch and yeah, I, I think sometimes I've caught fish that I wouldn't have caught before. I think this because is because I big, saw that happening. I think this yeah. is a big difference between, let's say, general fishing, crappie, bluegill, walleye, northern muskie, and fly fishing. You know, I grew up in North Dakota, and I have fished and caught lots of northern walleye, crappie, bass, and you typically, when you if you're on the shore or if you're in the boat you have a single thing that you're going to fish yeah and if it doesn't work you tend not to be changing it up that much because there's not a lot of options i know that's not always true but with fly fishing i don't know having to wait and be patient and watch and observe is really important yeah that really is true so what's another behavior that we want to pay attention to? Noses mean duns, but what else? What else are we looking for? So the second is fins mean nymphs or emergers. Yeah. So if you see only a dorsal fin or a tail and not the trout and not the trout's snout or nose, yeah. then likely the trout is feeding on something just beneath the surface. So what would you use in that case? So I think unweighted nymphs, uh, I think even nymphs without a beadhead, yeah, uh, which float point. just beneath the surface. Or you can use like an emerger pattern, um, which sits low and protrudes into the film beneath it. Yeah. So I think both nymphs and unweighted nymphs and emergers can work in that moment. That is a good reminder to me because I'm I'm so big on beadhead uh, nymphs and and they're good, but I I found I really need to carry a few that are not you know, that, that don't have a bead on them so that uh, they're not going to you know, fall or drop so far you know in the in the water because you you want them in that you want them in that film. Yeah, just beneath the film or sticking into the film. Yeah. So when we talk about, uh, you know, some sort of a, an emerger pattern which sits low and protrudes into the film beneath it, we're, we're talking about a dry, but we're, we're not talking about, say, uh, a parachute atoms. I mean, those are designed to ride high. Yeah. And the one time they will work is if they get waterlogged and disappear from your sight. Well, then they kind of function as, a, as an emerger. So I think I've, I know I've caught fish probably by accident because that's happened. I have missed a lot of fish because I, when I see these fins, I automatically think they're hitting dries yes. or in yep. the done stage. Oh, I know it. And it's a beginner's mistake. Yep. Uh-huh. And and so this idea of spotting and, and thinking through and making those changes, I think, makes mm-hmm. a difference between, you know, a ten fish afternoon and a one fish afternoon. It really does. I, I think this was one of the first things that I learned that really got me on to the feeding behavior of, of trout. I mean, I. You know, I talked about my friend Nolan, but, but I think even before that, I had, uh, I just realized, wow, when, when I'm seeing these, uh, uh, these fins, I, I had several veteran fly fishers that I fished with say, you know, don't you know, put on the, the standard dry fly pattern. They're probably feeding under the surface, so that's helpful. You know, that reminds me, years ago, when we were fishing near Augusta, mm-hmm. And yeah, Augusta, Montana. Yeah, Augusta, near Montana, the Elk Creek. Scapegoat 
wilderness area. Yeah. And I think it was a summer, and I had brought my brother with me, and there was that place called Sparrow Canyon. We dubbed it Sparrow Canyon, oh, and it was this okay. little bend in the in the stream, and there was this a bunch of sparrow nests in this little cliff above the stream. Really? But the stream uh, bent around this canyon, and it was mm -hmm. just this beautiful little run. And I remember about eight or nine o'clock, which just the sun was just starting to set, and there were several big fish rolling uh, yeah. on the surface and it was mm -hmm. all fins that's, a, that's and interesting i was casting dries i never caught a one of them mm -hmm. huh. and uh it's one of the fact that image of fishing that run is one of the mm -hmm. great mental images of my life that i if i want to go to a safe place it's fly yeah. fishing sparrow canyon oh at wow. night. even though you didn't catch them huh <laughs> exactly yeah. well maybe yeah. it's not so safe <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> you know i do like your uh, image though of uh, of rolling i i think that's helpful we talked about uh you know seeing uh, uh dorsal fin or tail but it may be more helpful to say when you see fish rolling you know they're not they're not leaping. They're not making a big splash. We'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, when they're just rolling over, uh, that's what you're probably looking at as they're feeding on these emergers. There's another one, another behavior that you want to pay attention to, and that's when you see these dimples in the, you know, in the water. You don't really see a nose. You you might a little bit, but it almost looks like somebody just threw a rock and you, you all of a sudden you see this dimple and and when that happens what you're probably looking at are trout that are feeding on midges or spinners so dimples mean midges or spinners again we've already said that noses mean duns fins mean nymphs but third dimples mean midges or spinners so if you see a small dimple in the water chances are you need to have a, a midge uh, pattern or these could be spent mayfly spinners like you talked about a moment ago here here's another you know phase of uh, of uh, trouts or of a of an insect a mayfly's adult life uh, again you may or may not see the trout's nose but uh, when you see those dimples uh, you know think about uh, midges or mayfly spinners well i last summer when i was fishing this high mountain lake and when we first got to the lake and arrived there was at about 12,000 feet, the lake was just full of these dimples. Wow. And they were not splashes, they were not mm -hmm. fins, they were just, the, they were like almost little sips, but they, but you mm -hmm. didn't see a nose. And I tried actually uh, some midge, some, actually I think I tried, I tried some parachute atoms, really tiny parachute atoms, nothing worked. Huh. Crazily enough, I put on a stimulator, one of those big stimulators, because that's what the fly shop owner mm -hmm. said I should do. Even up there, I'm thinking, yeah. are there even bugs this big? I threw that <laughs> on there, and they started hitting that as well. But they wow. they were sipping it, and it was just a tiny dimple. Huh. Um, so there were black flies up there, you know, these tiny midges that were flying around. Mm -hmm. But I didn't catch any fish on yeah. that. By the way, I caught them on these big stimulator bugs. <laughs> But you're right. Uh, dimples mean midges or spinners. Yeah. Now, this is where it gets confusing. Some fly fishers will say that even when you see a trout gently roll through the surface, kind of with the grace of a dolphin, that uh, it's, it's the same phenomena. They're feeding on midges or spinners. And we, we've already said, well, wait a minute. Those, 
you know, that, that's the same characteristic of fish who are feeding on emergers. And th that's where, yeah, this can seem to get too technical. But the good news is, uh, aside from, say, a specific midge pattern, if you see dimples or even fish rolling, uh, you know, think about a size 20 parachute atoms for the midges and then, and then some of the mayfly spinner patterns. Uh, they have light bodies and wings which... Uh, lay out to the side. It almost looks like a fly with airplane wings because yep. they yep. are at the side rather than you know, shooting up from the body at about a 45-degree uh, angle. All right, one more uh, behavior. Uh, what's the fourth one, Dave? The fourth is splashes generally mean caddis. Yeah. So if you see trout rising making splashes, they are likely most often feeding on caddis flies. And the reason for the splash is that these flies are fluttering on the surface and the trout go into attack mode. Yeah, they really do. And in this case, some kind of elk hair caddis pattern will uh, do the trick. Now, you might think of an elk hair caddis pattern as fairly universal, but I guess we've found though that you do have to vary color, sometimes lighter elk hair, sometimes darker elk hair. But especially the underbody. Yeah. Uh, the olive, black, yeah. or tan are the three, right? Yeah. And then we run into a, uh, a situation on Canfield Creek last year in southeast Minnesota where we really didn't have the right color. Yes. And the reason we didn't is we had gone to the fly shop near there <laughs> and fly shop didn't show up at, you know, when the fly yeah. shop was supposed to be open. So we didn't have any really specific Right. Because we knew. Caddis. What was it we wanted? We wanted, was it black? Yeah, we wanted yeah. black and we just had tan. And right. we also needed a little bit smaller. Yeah. The other yeah, thing, this is a whole on a side, but would be the emergers, right? So I did mm -hmm. pick up a bunch of emergers um, at a driftless fly shop because they were hitting on those and we didn't have any of those. Yep. I didn't have any emergers. Sure. Now, one of the reasons I've said that this is not scientific, that these are not, uh, you know, just neat, clean categories, is there's always a little bit of an exception. And here's one. Uh, our friend Dwayne Dunham uh, argues that the splash is usually because these trout are chasing the emerging caddisflies up from the bottom. So in that case, an emerger pattern often outfishes an elk hair floater. And uh, Dwayne Dunham, he's uh, in uh, Oregon, uh, fished a lot, though, in uh, the, the greater Yellowstone watershed, uh, he says that uh, uh, he's caught a lot of these on a pupa. He just fishes these with vigorous strips after letting it sink. And I've done uh, well with a, a red fox squirrel nymph as an emerger pattern, even during the caddis hatch. If you're fishing in August, a big splash might also be a hopper, right? Oh, yeah, that's a great point. And uh, yeah. obviously those hoppers are terrestrials, so they live and live out their life in the riparian zone, you know, along the river and don't hatch. But uh, I've seen, you know, trout hit those grasshoppers hard and aggressive. That's a good point. If, if you forget that... Uh, uh, Depends on the year. Right. Or season of the yeah, year, I should say. it does. But if you forget that this is hopper season or that that's an option, uh, you know, one of those big splashes will kind of uh, serve as a wake-up call, literally. Well, hey, just a few final thoughts. Uh, one is, is that watching surface behavior is only one part of your knowledge base. Uh, knowing what hatches happen in the river you're fishing at particular times of the year and even specific times of the day is really critical to making the uh, correct visual assessment. And as always, talk to the experts at your local fly shop or 
you read their reports online. A, a good fly shop will update its online reports every day, especially during the you know spring, summer, yep. and fall seasons. That's why we're really big on frequenting local fly shops and and uh, you know buying stuff, supporting them because they also provide a lot of intel. Uh, which I, I hope they never charge for. <laughs> <laughs> they do because their stuff never goes on sale. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. Yes, that's exactly it. Okay, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. We're always glad to hear from Michael Wiley, and he recently commented on one of our posts about setting the hook when you're fishing in colder water. Uh, this is what Michael said. He said, Although trout make deliberate strikes, it is often in a slower motion in the cold waters. Wait for the fish to get turned before setting the hook. Just that subtle pause will result in hooking up. That makes perfect sense, especially in winter. Yeah, it does. You know what I find, though, that you really have to develop a feel for this. I, I can kind of forget, okay, now is this a time when I'm supposed to strike more quickly or strike slower? But I, I think that's one of the, the benefits of... Uh, after you fish for an hour or so, if, if the fish are hitting, you you start to get into a rhythm. You start yeah. to make those corrections, don't you? And I, I think that's a really astute one. So I'm going to go out on the limb here. I think that in general, fly fishers set the hook too quickly. I was just reading Gary yeah. Borger's book again on nymphing. Mm -hmm. And he, when he's talking about when you um, are doing what he calls the strip tease, uh, approach when you're actually uh, stripping the the nymph a little bit. He talks about waiting once you have a strike to set the hook. And mm -hmm. We'll talk about this in an upcoming podcast. But it just was a good reminder that I think too often I'm I'm ready to set the hook really hard and fast. And sometimes you have to discipline yourself uh, to to take your time, or maybe it's a half second huh. or an extra second uh, to to set the hook. That makes sense. Although, I have to say, it seems like some of the guides I fish with are always saying, you're too slow, you're too slow. Ah, that's true. But, they but might I be think wrong, what, yeah. Well, but maybe what they're saying is that you didn't actually, you did, you're not even moving the rod at all towards setting the hook because you don't recognize it that <laughs> it's just a take. just standing there like a bozo. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me on nymph fishing, yeah. you know, those subtle takes are so hard to read. They really are. Oh, I know. We've talked about that before. You helped me. Last year, when we were fly fishing in Yellowstone Park, and I was, uh, uh, I was ignoring the subtle takes. I, I just, I was probably bumping the bottom, and you kept saying, "I think you're getting a strike," and I thought, "Yeah, right, whatever. Okay, I'll, I'll make you happy and humor you." And, and so I, I struck at the next little, what I thought's a little bounce off the bottom, and boom, there's a 17 well, we should, rainbow. Yeah. Well, we should be really clear that I don't ever sit and watch Steve fish and coach him. It just so <laughs> happened that we were at the same run and it was, the run was unbelievable. Was. I yeah. would, I would uh, drift my nymph maybe two or three times and oh, catch man. a fish. And then it was Steve's turn and it just kept going for oh. what, two or three hours. It was yeah, two hours at was, least at that it run. It was amazing. We it violated really every one of our principles by staying at that run for so long. Oh man. Oh my. We really did. <laughs> Well, hey, that's going to do it for today. Please share with us any other behaviors you have observed as you watch feeding trout. Go to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. What other feeding behaviors can tip you off to what trout are feeding on? You can find Two Guys in a River pretty much everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher. And of course, you can visit our website, 
twoguysinariver.com. We publish a new episode and a new article each week on our website. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs>